circle spinning faster and getting larger all the time. A whirlpool spell disaster for all the people who don't rhyme. Him who don't fit through the needle's eye. Him who just don't understand. Understand. going on people pete davidson here with a fresh episode of fantasy highland where the football is fake the takes are real and so is the whiskey uh that was gil scott haran bringing us in didn't go with a whiskey song uh this week just i don't know i'm in a gil scott haran mood what can i tell you um got john daigle on the show today john's great had a lot a lot of good things to say on the whiskey front uh and the fantasy football front uh john will be hosting um this event I'm doing tonight uh, at Roto World is called the Roto World Rumble. Uh, I'll be tweeting out links to that stuff during the day. If you feel like watching a uh, hardcore fantasy draft tonight, um, then this definitely is going to be for you. Um, so I'm uh, going to do a really short intro here because this is a long-ass podcast. John and I were recording for almost two hours, and I pretty much kept everything in. Um, the whiskey we're going to be drinking is Isla Barley 2011 by Brook Lottick. Uh, really enjoyed it, had a lot of fun with it. We both gave it a big thumbs up. Um, so without further ado, because we got seriously a long show to get into here, um, let's just get right into my conversation with uh, John Daigle. Okay, folks, at this time, I would like to welcome John Daigle to the Fantasy Highland Pod. John, how you doing, man? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, buddy. It's been a long time. I know, I know. The, 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 the season got away from us and then... Uh, you and I are supposed to do poker. We were supposed to do some whiskey tasting. And this COVID thing just came along and knocked us off our feet. It's a bummer. Well, you're supposed to do this live. Yeah. And well, we're um, going to do this live. And we had, and I mean, I had some good poker set up. We were going to get you and Elliot and some people. That was going to be a good time. And I don't know. Did I tell you the story? Um, my buddy actually got COVID and he didn't know it. And if we had played that poker night, he would have been there. We probably all would have gotten it. And what's funny is if you go so we back. Shook it. We shook it a little. Sorry, go ahead. Go back a, a couple months, like two or three months, whenever quarantine and stay-at-home rulings initially began, right. I feel like this is like I, I actually took a trip right before like the crackdown happened. I actually went to see a friend of this show, Rich Rebar, in oh, okay. Cleveland. I took an annual trip to see him and his family. And and we just uh, go out in Cleveland because I love the city and I love oh, Cleveland. Cleveland's such an underrated city for drinking. <laughs> I I still say it, say it to this day and I will stick by it. Uh, Cleveland is the most underrated city in America, and people laugh at me and they look at me strange, but I'm telling no, you, I, I, Cleveland I, I, is amazing. And the only reason you don't know about it is because they want to keep it that way. They want to keep people away from it. That can be true. I went there um, back when they opened the Jake. I, I won a sales contest when I worked at the Mets, and it was this is I could this is you know what I think I told you this story at the bar. Um, we I think we may have had this conversation. Let's hear it. But well, no, it's it's long and boring. But well, actually, it's not boring. But it's 
it's not good for this podcast. I'll tell you later. But, <laughs> but it was it was a really good time to go. It was a psychedelic exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, a buddy took me down. What is it called? The Flats. Um, went to a couple bars and um, it was the all-star game at the Jake. So Nomar Garcia Parra put on an absolute display in the rookie home run hitting contest. The whole thing was amazing. Um, and my wife and I left going, wow, we didn't know Cleveland was so cool. <laughs> I mean, we were, it was really a genuinely good time. Um, maybe because it was free. I mean, free always makes things better. <laughs> that certainly always helps. But the food is amazing. They've redone downtown the past couple of years, which makes it much better. They, they even have a sky bar, like a rooftop bar that I think is 63 floors up, um, looking over Brown Stadium, over the ocean. So it is, it's so beautiful. We went there at sunset one evening. So yeah, I, I would swear by it. I, I think it has great everything, much better than people's expectations when they first hear the term Cleveland. And it's got rich rebar. <laughs> and, it's got, and it's got, I don't know how accessible he is to everyone, but yeah, it's got him too somewhere in there. Okay, man. So um, we've already been talking here, but for those folks who don't know, if you live in a cave, um, John works at Roto World and you're actually going to be hosting this event um, I'm doing tomorrow night. Um, and I, before we get into this, you can follow John uh, on Twitter, and he, he his handle is at not J Daigle D A I G L E. And this thing we're doing tomorrow night is called the Roto World Rumble, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we'll, we'll get into this after we talk about the whiskey. But you want to tell everybody what's going on tomorrow night, just so folks who want to watch it can tune in and check it out. It kind of all came together thanks to Todd Burrows of run to daylight and the yeah. run to daylight podcast. Um, he had such a fun time jumping into this recreational $5 best ball in Harditz and I did last week. And we continue to do on Roto world, Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Roto world every Friday night at 7 PM Eastern that he wanted to do a bigger one. And I, it's been a while I haven't jumped into, well, actually I played one, I believe um, football guys championship roster so far. And for those that don't know, and that's the format we're using tomorrow night, is 20 rounds in-season in management, so your basic season-long or redraft league. Uh, and, of course, we'll have a kicker and a defense. We'll likely only draft one each since it is season-long and we can adjust on the fly. But tight end, tight end premium and no trades. So we filled the league, or Todd filled the league, I should say. He bounced a few guests off me. I suggested a few people. I think it's even amount. It's not, it's not filled with the uh, people I know to be like extremely successful every single year, it's filled with both analysts and some of the guys that are wells that just play, you know, yeah. three to five leagues every single day, slow drafting throughout their lives. Um, and, and so I think, it's a, I think it's a good 12 man league fill. I'm sorry. I missed that last part. I no, I just think it's a solid 12 man league that Todd helped build. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this I'm really looking uh, forward to it. I love playing against tough competition, so oh, yeah. uh, this is definitely going to qualify uh, for that. And we're, you know, we're going to get back to this in a second. So this is interesting how we came to this week's whiskey because I told you to go out and get Classic Laddie, and you went out and bought Isla Barley 2011 <laughs> instead. Um, so then I was like, well, hell, I think I need to get that too. So now we're both holding a bottle of. Brooklotic Isla Barley 2011. So, so go ahead. I would just like to quickly say, though, like, I didn't mean to go rogue. I really didn't. <laughs> no, I know. The initial conversation, like you suggested a uh, Brook Laddie, classic Laddie, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you that's what you suggested, and it has a, a pink canister it comes in. Pink or yeah. foam green? One it's, of those. It's, it's, it's teal or whatever teal, you want to call okay. it. Okay, teal. Yeah, foam green. Yeah, so whatever it is, it's that color, and I did see it on the shelf. But then like only $8 more, I saw the Isla Barley. And I was like, okay, if he's going to drink Classic Laddie, I'll bring something different from the ta- to the table and we can compare. But then you got so excited about something you hadn't tried. I actually gave you an errand. Like I didn't get you excited. I made you go to the store essentially. I went, I, we bought our bottles at the same exact store in Stanford. And what's great about this for me is that when I went, um, I went through all their, you know, what they had, and I ended up finding a bottle of Nika coffee malt, which I've been looking for, like, for months. You can't find the stuff anywhere around here, so it was totally worth the trip. So thank you for going rogue. The uh, it is the Bev Max on what is it Hope Street? I think. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good joint. Um, yeah, that's, I, I walk there in my apartment. Well, I shouldn't say where I live, but yeah. No, no, that's um, it's uh, it was a nice joint. They they brought the stuff out to the car. It was all good. Um, so I've done a little bit of research on this stuff. Now I'm a fan of Brooklotic in general. Um, the classic laddies, like right now, it's 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 my go-to scotch just because I love it and it's you know it's relatively cost friendly. Um, but let's just go down a, a little bit of the details um, on this. Uh, on this spirit. Um, it's two, 2011 Isla Barley. It's unpeated Isla single malt. So that's unusual, like right out of the gate, right? I mean, Isla is known for, for peat and heavy peat. Um, and we're, we're, we're coming in with our first Isla whiskey and it is unpeated. Um, it is, it's sort of goldenish, I would say in color. They, they call it fresh cut straw for color. Um, all Brooklotic whiskey, all of it is matured on Isla the island of Isla. Uh, it's bottled on site using Isla spring water. It's non-chill filtered. They don't add any color. Um, so it's it's good, natural stuff. This stuff is presented 50% ABV or 100 proof. It's aged six years in Isla. It's 100% barley, all grown in Isla from six separate farms in Isla. Um, and it's interesting. If you go on the Brooklotic site, They've got like an interactive map that shows all the different farms on the island that they use and like the bottle you're drinking, which farms go into that bottle and so on and so forth. It's pretty wild. So you say unpeated and surprising coming from Isla in general, but I will say that we just happened to accidentally run into this because nearly 100%, 99.9% of the unpeated whiskeys from Isla are actually from both Brook Laddie and Bunahab Venn Distilleries. So okay. actually not a coincidence that we happen to run into one that's unpeated from Isla. Right. And my only experience with Brooklotic up until I got turned on to the Laddie was this crazy mega peated stuff that my friend had of theirs, which is just like <laughs> the craziest peat I've ever tasted in my life. It's called like Octan Potion or something like that. No, no, Octa, I don't I can't even pronounce it. But anyway, um, the other thing about this stuff, well, 75% of it is American oak bourbon casks, 25% European sweet wine casks. That's sort of interesting. Um, and then the other thing is they're really into, I don't know if I'll pronounce this correct, but uh, terroir, <laughs> which is basically the elements surrounding, um, it's the, the actual terrain, the actual physical space that the... Um, the spirit is made in the climate, the soil, the terrain. 
Um, so this is really like a 100% Isla whiskey with the exception of the European wine casks and the American oak bourbon casks. Um, and I'm really looking forward to drinking this stuff. What are you, you typically are you ready? Let's, before we say another freaking word. You, I know you've been aching at this. You, yeah, you've been messaging me on Twitter the past like two hours. Like, we're 10 minutes in, man. We haven't popped okay. the cork. Okay. So are you, are you ready to pop? Oh yeah. I have, I actually have the cork next to my microphone. So. Uh, okay. Here we go. I'm going right, to, we'll do a three, two, one, three, two, one. Nice. I think we both, those are both. Okay. Good. So I will say I admittedly had a, ro- a whiskey rock in there and then I got chastised, which I should have been. You were right. <laughs> no, 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 no. You were totally you right. And so I took it out and uh, now I just have a normal glass. So what I'm going to do is try a sip. We'll talk about it. And then I'll drop literally a single droplet of water to open it up. And then we'll talk about it some more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I'm, I'm going right now. Neat. No water. I'm a little stuffed up, but it's got a nice, uh, nice nose on it. What kind of glass do you drink out of, by the way? Uh, it is absolutely nothing fancy. I think it's just your typical whiskey glass. I should get one with like the map of uh, of Game of Thrones or something on there. It's but. worth. It, they're actually really inexpensive. For like sixteen bucks, you can get a pair of the Glencairn glasses, and they're really good. Oh. Um, they sort of focus the nose. The tulip shape brings the, the nose right up to your nose. It's good stuff. Okay. Here we go. I'm diving in. I had to smell the bottle first. Here we go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same. Okay, interesting. Okay, this tastes like Brooklotic without question, but it's definitely different than the Laddie. It's a little mellower. The It's odd. It's good. So it's odd because I, I like it a lot, but the bottle, I feel like the smell is less stronger than what I put in my glass. Like the glass, it's like. Well, sometimes it opens up a little bit, right? Oh, okay. I guess that's what happened then. Cause it gets like pungent whenever, and not a bad way. Uh, pungent has negative connotation, but. Right. The bottle tip slows, slows things down. I think the, uh, once you get it in the glass, it's, you get a little more, but. It doesn't melt on your palate, though. It's like super. No, this is yeah. It, this is very friendly, and it's you know it's you can I mean I, you can taste I can taste the sea, man. I it's it, you know, I, I almost want to say this is peated, but I know it's not. But it's got that Isla overall flavor. Like it still tastes like an Isla whiskey, which is sort of fascinating because I tend to associate the smoke with Isla, but. This has all those other flavors to it, which is really cool. It's the aftertaste. The aftertaste actually has, I agree with this, because I was about to say uh, peatiness, but again, it doesn't at all because it's unpeated whiskey. But the aftertaste absolutely has smoke to it. Yeah, it's like, I think I've grown to associate all those Isla flavors with peat. Um, And so when you take the peat out, it's almost like I'm sensing peat because my senses expect peat to be with this combination of flavor. it's pretty cool, actually. Um, and for what it's worth, I think – I don't know if I mentioned this after we started recording or before, but if you go on brooklotic.com – and I'll have a link to this for folks listening. Um, if you just go down, there will be a link to the Brooklotic website um, on the podcast. Um, but the website's really good. And like I said – oh, yeah, I did – it was after we were recording. But um, like you can go through all these different things in terms of looking – you know, at, at the land and all the different um, expressions that they're working on, 
it's definitely cool. It's a really good website. Um, man, this is good. I will admit too that I, I enjoy like the the raw, like the sea flavors in general, like of oysters. Yeah. And Same oysters, here. I'm usually leaning towards ones that taste closer to the bottom of the earth. Um, I love kale and like, I genuinely don't care about the health matters. I just think it tastes great because it tastes fresh. It's like farm to table, how you can just notice a distinct uh, difference. And so like, yeah. that's why I, I enjoy this unpeated, but I also favor peated too, if only because I do like having those, senses from the land and uh I, like you said this tastes like the sea like i get a little bit of that yeah no i mean it really I, i'm a big fan of isla expressions in general i'm a i'm a you know pretty big lagavulin guy um and I, i'm a lafroig guy um i i genuinely like that stuff oh i can hear the pour sounds good uh we went a little heavy-handed this time <laughs> that's okay there's nothing wrong with that um I, I know Barrett and I went 90 minutes last night and definitely I think the last 15 minutes we were both getting a little loopy. Um, I, I lost the ability to tell time there at one point. Um, That's what <laughs> on the first episode of this podcast you did with uh, the great Scott fish. Uh, Y'all were talking about me and you had both mentioned how you met me over whiskey and then, and then it's he, true. And then he said, "That's probably not a coincidence." And he he is right. He labeled me perfectly. Uh, <laughs> not a coincidence. The first time people talk to me, it's usually over whiskey. Well, you were walking home, and I was driving home, so it was whiskey for you and beer for me. So to be um, fair, the bar we went to, though, I live nearby, but also my my closest friends know I'm a walker. I'm not even kidding. If it's like two miles away, I will old man it up and just walk everywhere. I, I absolutely love walking. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I'm a New York City guy. I, you know, it's always that like, okay, fifty blocks. Can I do it? <laughs> it's like you're, you're looking at you're looking at the entrance to the subway, and you're going, okay, subway, cab, fifty blocks. It's you know, I could, it could go either way, but yeah, I used to I used to walk home from volleyball games all the time. Just enjoy the night, especially because the metro in the city is it's quite easy to do anyways. But I mean, there are some nights in New York city you're walking back because I still go there frequently or I used to go there frequently for dinners with friends. And uh, you're not going to want to do Metro. Like you have to walk because it's so beautiful out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a frequent user of the subway in, 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 in New York, but it's not the kind of thing I don't want to avoid. <laughs> like if, if I'm going out to dinner, if I can avoid the subway, I'm going to. <laughs> That's fair. Also, you know, after 1 a.m., it gets a little dicey. So I totally understand. Well, it's mostly just, you know, I always feel a little dirty after I ride the subway. Like, you know, if I'm I, taking the subway home is fine. I clean up when I get home. But I don't know. It's you know what? I haven't I say this. I mean, I'm like a creature of the New York subways because I, I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. Um, but I haven't ridden it that much the last couple of years. So I'm sort of talking out my backside. Um, anyway, I, man, I, I should have known this stuff would be really good. It's, it's interesting. It's not as bright, at least my impression of it so far is that it's not as bright as the laddie. It's mellower. So uh, that's one of the things I'm going to ask you a lot of things, but that's one of the things Go I wanted it. to hear from you, uh, before I got told, Hey, let's put our mouse on this thing already is, I would like to hear what the laddie is like since I've never tried it. So I, I would like to differentiate and sip while you explain. Well, other the first, the first thing you definitely got to do is just try it. Like just get a damn bottle of it for yeah, sure. Go back and get bottle, don't worry. 
Definitely don't take my word for it. But um, I, t- I tell you, the one thing I don't like about the Laddie is the teal bottle, not the color, but the fact that it's it's all. I mean, it covers even the bottom of the bottle, and like I can never tell how much is left, and I keep drinking it down to like you know maybe a fifth of it left, with you know without realizing how fast I'm going. And it and I've like I've run out a couple times and it's annoying. Like I like being able to like from across the room, sort of judge how much is in a bottle. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, like I like the stuff so much, and I keep I keep hitting the bottle because the bottle doesn't say Pete stop. Like I look like I'm looking at my open fourteen right now. And there's a third of a bottle left, so I know I'm going to be sort of judicious about it because if I want to refill my open, it's like seventy five bucks. <laughs> so I, I'm hit that bottle again until it's sort of a special occasion. So that's what I was actually going to ask though, is what kind of whiskey or scotch, like what do you usually lean towards? Uh, smoky, fruity, peaty? Like, I don't know. Um, I, when I first got into scotch, I was definitely heavy into peat. Um, I still like peat for sure, but I'm getting more into non-peated stuff. I, 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 I was telling Scott um, Fish when, when I had him on, I'm definitely – the rum casks, the sherry casks, um, some of the uh, bourbon casks. I'm really starting to like the effect um, on some of these whiskeys that are finished that way. Uh, the Macallan uh, is a good example. Um, so I'm definitely sort of expanding my horizons. I'm, I'm enjoying more Highland, uh, more Speyside, stuff like that. Uh, I'm a big fan of Oban, uh, as I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got its own little location. Um, in Oban. Uh, and I, Scott doesn't like Talisker. I do. Um, so, and that's another one, like where you can really taste the different geographical place where Talisker is. I think it's the, um, the Isle of Skye. So like, you know, I know what the Isle of Skye tastes like versus Isla. And I, you know, I know what mainland tastes like, like that's the, the really, and it's funny. It was the last thing I thought I would like about whiskey, but it really is cool being able to associate a place with the flavor. It, I don't know why I like that so much, but it's just cool. Yeah. See, I'm more of a space side kind of guy just because I do appreciate the smoked fruit inside most of their scotches. Um, Can you give me a space side that you like? Ooh. Uh, don't, don't burn your head. It's all good. I just want, just cause I, um, and it's, it's interesting. Um, I think um, if I'm, I'm looking it up really quick, just to make sure I got all my ducks in a row and I don't miss one. That's cool. But I, I, while you're doing that, I'll answer your question. Um, I was telling Scott Barrett last night my my daily dram, the thing that I that I go to more than anything else, is probably just good old Jameson, um, because I like Irish whiskey, I like Jameson, and it's really inexpensive and it's good. Um, and I generally will warm my palate up with like a Jameson or if I'm feeling malty and I want scotch, I'll drink like monkey shoulder, which is, which I get for like 28 bucks a bottle. And I'll generally do like, in my mind, it's sort of like whiskey calisthenics. I'll grab some Jameson or some monkey shoulder, depending on the mood. Um, sometimes I'll have a bottle of this stuff, uh, Deanston virgin Oak, um, which is a nice single malt that you can get in the low thirties. It's a, it's like seven year aged single malt, but it's pretty good stuff. It's bright, but it's good. And I generally will start my night off with a dram of one of those because if my palate's not right, at least I didn't waste it on expensive whiskey. Like there's nothing worse than grabbing like like a really expensive bottle of whiskey. 
Can you right. hear that? That ambulance? Oh yeah, we can definitely hear that. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, it's funny, man. Since the COVID, like ambulances, they're just all the time. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, I live close to the distribution venue. So. Oh, okay. So the most popular from Speyside are McAllen, Balvaney, and Glenn Fittich and Glenn Livett. Uh, I kind of lean toward Glenn Livett, but. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. So just three out of those four are like mainstays for me. I'm a big Balvini fan, big McCown. You're a Spaceside guy too. Yeah, I do like Spaceside. Um, and I like, um, I'm Glenn Fittick over Glenn Livett. Although, but here's a qualifier. What I was saying before about sherry casks, and I talked about this with Scott, the, the bottle that sort of turned me into sort of a single malt freak was a bottle of Glenlivet that my pop gave me for Christmas. It was one of those bottles I never would have bought for myself because it was really expensive. Um, it was a, a bottle of Glenlivet 15 um, and it's finished in sherry casks. And I just loved it. And I would love to get another bottle. I just haven't really felt like spending the money since then because it was about, it was like north of 80 bucks. But man, it's good stuff. Really uh-huh. good stuff. So I also I also like Bowmore or Bowmore. How do you pronounce it? Um, I think it's I think it's Bowmore and um, I just want to make sure. I, I, I'm you know what I'm not 100 percent sure, but oh. my buddy got me a bottle of the the Bowmore 15 Dark Fest. Oh yeah, sir. That's that was that was good stuff. Um, very smooth, easy drinking. Now I mean, again, like it was pricey though. It was yeah. definitely pricey. Like I. It was really good, but I don't think I would buy a bottle of it, if that makes sense. Again, because of the price. Yeah, so Bowmore is, that's more fruit. But what I like in general about Bowmore, um, so I also drink a lot of mezcal. I like mezcal, the smokiness, a lot of it. Um, and Bowmore, I don't know if you knew this, but they actually infamously crumble their peat rather than smoking it in bricks because it, it allows the smoke to um, to expand. So it's like more of it thus creating more of a smoky flavor. And so that's why when I lean towards something with smoke, I try to go either Bowmore in particular or lean towards Lagavulin. Okay, okay. Have you had Ardbeg? I have not, although I know I need to. There's one famous, maybe you're about to talk about it. There's one famous out there. It's called like the Ardbeg, the Oogie or... uh, I have not had that. I've just had the the good old Ardbeg 10. But the thing about Ardbeg is, like, if you want if you want smoke without spending a ton of money, you know, you get a, you, you, I think generally speaking around here, you get a bottle of Ardbeg ten for around fifty bucks, and man, does it pack a punch! I mean, that stuff's got some smoke. Um, and what I love about Ardbeg is it's so heavily peated. I can use it to sort of mix and peat other whiskeys. Like sometimes, if I'm drinking Jameson, but I I just want a hint of smoke, I'll just drop one one or two drops of hard bag in there. And it's like a whole new whiskey. It's sort of cool. Oh, that sounds really good. Uh, maybe that's my next bottle then. It's not, it's a little bit more straight up. It's not like complex and challenging like Lafroig. Like the primary challenge for hard bag is just if you can handle the smoke. Um, it's good stuff. I definitely like it with a couple drops of water. If I'm drinking it straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should- have you, have you had Lafroig? If I have, I cannot recall it, which means I probably haven't. I would say Lafroig is one of those where if you don't know you've had it, you haven't had it. Okay. It, 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 it's an impactful whiskey. Like it's one of those – let me see. Let me, this is interesting. Let me see if I can come up with a fantasy football player that we could sort of equate um, 
<laughs> to Lafroy because it's one of those like you either love it or you hate it kind of whiskeys. I don't know, maybe. Let me see if I can love it. Up. So a love it or hate it kind of player. Um, yeah, um, maybe Amari Cooper, something like that. Um, Odell Beckham, maybe. <laughs> everybody, everybody hates hates my guy Odell. Odell. Um, so this has been for me a winning venture. Um, I'm really enjoying this stuff. Yes, we're, we're, and I'm, I'm getting near the bottom of Dram One already. And since we've talked, talked by the way, I have added one drop of water. I didn't add two; I added one. And I got to tell you, I actually like it neat better. Okay, okay. And you haven't put anything cold in it yet. I'm not going to on the podcast. We'll uh, respect the pod. Eh, no, 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 no. Seriously, the one thing about whiskey, like, don't let. And I know you don't. But yeah, don't let people tell you how to drink whiskey like drink whiskey the way you like it like if you like rocks drink rocks the the only thing about rocks that like the only thing i tell people and and again this is something that somebody explained to me and in my experience it's really turned out to be true is that when you take all that ice out you actually taste more um and i have found that to be very very accurate um so i like to taste it so i tend to you know go room temperature Yes. And I will say I kind of, although like I will drink this with you and I, I just drink so many different things. That's the issue. Um, you know, like right now you were talking like you have kids, wife and whatever. So you have, you have a lot on your plate, not to mention the things you continue doing at Rotobon and just with your own podcast and writing in general. Uh, but it's like just me though. Cause last year I moved to Stanford, Connecticut, which is why we met up last year prior to yeah. the season, prior to all this. And so like even friends so much. I really don't have many, if any, available right now in the area. And I have no I have no partner. I have no children. I have no family because they're all in the country in Texas. And I can't really fly right now. So my alcohol intake has increased exponentially the past month. You're an island, man. You're yeah, an island. So, so I will say one of the skills I picked up, though, is cocktail making. I can make a mean old-fashioned now. I can make a good, even though it's not hard, I can make a good dirty martini now as well. Um, so that, that's one little skill I guess I learned. From well, you know, mixology is sort of what got me into whiskey. I, yeah, I, I was never a huge fan of whiskey. I had it mostly in drinks. And I started, my family went on a vacation where I had to stay home and work. So I was like alone for like two and a half weeks. And um, this is like years ago. But um, to me, it was like, it feels like it was last year because I'm old. But um so I started making a bunch of different mixed drinks, Sazeracs and stuff like that, um, Bouvardiers, um, Negronis. Um, I love a good hurricane. Um, and um, I started like sensing the whiskey. And I started actually another thing I started making a lot of were Godfathers. And that's something I still drink quite a bit. I, I like a good guy. When I put ice in my glass, I will generally also throw in just like a little – just a tiny little bit of amaretto on top and, and make a Godfather. If I make it with my Jameson, I, I usually call that Irish mafia. Um, and mm. I really like, I really like that stuff. But I, as, as I started going, as I started putting less mixer in, like I, I, I got, I started going through this phase where I started making all my drinks stronger with less extra. And then eventually I just I just started drinking whiskey straight, and I haven't really really turned back. 
I think the thing is, though, is that I appreciate the art. It's like I love cooking, uh, not just because when you're over your 30s and single that you have to know how to cook, basically, because you're a bachelor. Yeah. So uh, I, I love cooking. I think I just love the art of it, though. I love the art. No, you're right. You're right. Like cooking we, from nothing, like writing. I'm totally with you because when you actually nail a drink and get it right, it's <laughs> oh, a good feeling. Like just the fact that – so I learned that apparently the universal – you can't go wrong. Everyone take notes right now. Old fashioned is I actually have a I have a recipe notebook right here. That's how long I've been doing this now. Um, so it's two ounces of. So I've been using bourbon. I will say, even though it's nothing fancy, Buffalo Trace makes the best old fashioned. However, I've been experimenting with scotch. I've been experimenting with so many different things. But just take your normal bourbon, even if it's like Woodford Reserve or whatever, and you just go two ounces to half an ounce of simple syrup. You can make it at home. Um, yeah, and then you just spin that around, throw in your orange peel after squeezing it, the oils and aroma from it. And then uh, if you want to top it with the Luxardo cherry, go for it as well. And that's literally it. And for those that don't have measuring cups, if you just have spoons, it's literally four tablespoons of whisk or bourbon and then a half a, or one tablespoon of simple syrup. That simple. That's your old fashioned right there. You know, and it's funny, like you're saying that and it sounds really good. And now I sort of want to make one. But when I, but when it just comes down to it, I look at the bottle and I just pour it and drink it. <laughs> Fair too. Yeah, that's good too. And I, you know, it's probably because I have to cook so much. It's like, if I didn't have to cook so much, I'd probably have more time to like. Are you the cook of the house between you and. I am in a big way. So what are some of your, the best dishes you cook? Nobody, nobody likes it when my wife cooks. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. We all have different skills. We need to trade in a partnership. Yeah, no, I mean, I work from home, so the cooking falls on me. I, I mean, I can cook pretty much anything. I mean, the stuff I'm really good at is Italian. Um, I make Ooh. a really good, I make a really good sauce. Um, you know, I, I, I it's, Usually I go with a meat-based sauce, but I don't have to. Um, so I make a good sauce, make good meatballs. Um, I make really good chili, but not just like chili chili. I make a very aggressive veg. It's a vegetarian chili with meat. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it, it's got a lot of meat in it. But if you look at it, it's really only about 10% meat. Okay. So like, you get all the benefits of meat but you're getting a lot of really healthy stuff too. So I put, I, I mean, I put a huge, I start with like two pounds of, of beef, but then I put in like 10 cans of Rotel tomatoes, um, probably, probably six peppers, mixed green, yellow, orange, and red, um, a couple huge onions. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, oh, and then the, 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 the real, the thing that really took it to another level um, was when I started putting grilled corn in. That really mm -hmm. took it to another level. Of course. Um, this is like the standard fare for our yearly draft that I host. Um, like if I tell people I'm not making chili, the <laughs> the ratio of people doing it from home goes up. <laughs> like if it's like if I'm making chili, all 12 teams show up. If I'm not making chili, nine teams will show up. Um, it always – like I am more of the host mentality in any party I'm in. Um, so like, for instance, we went on, I used to work for fantasy labs, everyone knows. Uh, and then when we went on one of the first company trips, whenever it was initially a startup, even before Cuban invested in the company, um, I'm the one who like cooked dinner for everyone because I just love, I, I genuinely love doing it. I love the cocktail making.
baking. I love the cooking of it. Um, however, like being from Texas, like I said, my family's there. Uh, a lot of my longtime friends are there in the area. And the thing is, like, whenever we do, everyone has their, by the way, this should be something else we talk about. Everyone has their, like, no matter, even when you're in the industry, you're all these higher stakes, expensive, um, you know, sharper fantasy drafts. Don't listen to anyone. It doesn't matter at all. The only league we genuinely care about, every single one of us, is the one where our friends are just texting us all the time. That's the only one we want to win. And by the way, most of the time, those are the ones we don't win. Because those are the ones we, while we care personally about it, it gets in the way of work. And thus, it makes it so much harder to pay attention to like waiver wires and the odd rules you may have set a decade ago. So like with that league, the winner, I'll quickly say, the winner picks where we go every year. Um, and then we all rent an Airbnb, like 15 of us together, and we spend an entire weekend there, four to five days. It's wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. So that's the thing amazing. is, although I am, my personality normally is being a host, I don't host at those because also it's t- it's a league full of proud Texans. Thus, it's barbecue or get the hell out. And so <laughs> since everyone, if you've ever met someone from the South in general, they're usually proud of whatever their city or um, metropolis is, is, is like usually known for and thus like you're never going to take the grill away from a Texan because they're going to always think their barbecue is the best. And most of the time it's all good. Anyways, you can just rank it all evenly one, a one B one C, et cetera. So that's how it goes. Nice. Nice. I, I also, for what it's worth, make a mean marinated flank steak, which we've got to, at some point we need to get that done at some point too. Um, so um, mine very quickly, my best my best dish is an eggplant parmesan. I'm not even vegetarian, but I do eat vegetarian di- dishes from time to time. And then uh, my favorite, it just takes too much time. I make hand cut sweet potato fries and I cook them twice, pan frying them because uh, it gives them interesting. crisp. Interesting. I'm going to have to get some advice for you at some point on the eggplant because my family loves it and I'm not real good with it. Oh, it's um, cool. it, like when you crisp it and like a shank, it is so good. I can't even begin to tell you. I'm going to open my mind up to this because I need to start eating less meat. <laughs> no, anyway, no so, red meat is fine for you. Like good of red meat are good for you. Don't listen to people. <laughs> I, well, since the COVID, I've been – I'm. I made the mistake of actually doing like a wholesale meat order and I went a little haywire on it. <laughs> oh, so you have freezer meat right now is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Hey, you know what? It had to be done. I was having trouble getting meat and like, you know, I didn't really want to go to the store because, you know, my, my parents are high risk and I really was trying to stay clean as long as I could so I could give help to them and stuff. You're um, a good man. So if I, yeah, well, you know, my, my folks live close by. Um, so, Finally, I'm just like, man, I need to get my hands on some meat. And I, I did a, I, I found this company in um, the Bronx called the Meat Guys. They're like, you know, a uh, a restaurant provider. They they sell wholesale to restaurants and stuff. And I bought like, they just drove it up to my house, um, like ten flank steaks, a tenderloin, like four boxes of sausage, um, uh, a, a whole thing of skirt steak, uh, ten pounds of ground beef. It was. It was crazy. Um, and actually, I think we're just now starting to get down to the bottom of that. So, hey, 38 minutes in, we haven't talked that much football. This is pretty impressive. Um, I think this is the point where we can pivot a little bit. What do you think? And by the way, I I'm I poured my second dram, if you didn't hear it, and I'm willing to. I'm about to pour my third whenever you go on a long spiel, so don't worry. 
There you go. There I've, you been, go. I've been enjoying this far too much. It's very good. <laughs> it is good. So um, you said you have some pretty good ADP on hand. So let's let's go through some players. Now, one thing about this draft, it's tight end premium. And I'm assuming that whether you're taking part in the early running back, um, ex, you know, um, feast that everybody seems to be partaking of, you, you know, whether you're doing it yourself or not, you know, it's going on like running backs are going early. Do you have a feel for how this thing's going to go? Is it going to be like, I mean, the way I'm looking at this thing, I think it's going to be very RB heavy early. Um, and then I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So that's the thing, though, is that yes, and obviously the tight ends are going to go early too. Sorry. No, no, you're good. So that's the thing, though. Uh, yes, RBs are going early, but uh, not enough people are talking about. And I recently did. We were talking about this pre-show. I did a recent podcast with friend Davis Maddock um, on overrated players because that was my most recent piece that you and Scott Fish actually talked about. We're not just creating mm-hmm. an ecosystem, by the way. We're talking about we're connecting everyone's pod to be one. Um, that was. That was a good article. Yeah, so uh, so I wrote that. Y'all talked about it. But I also went on Davis's show, Sports Grid Podcast, if you want to look it up, last week and discussed it as well and just how we, how we differed from those opinions. And the big thing is that I pointed out is that, yes, like your typical 12-man best ball leagues that normally people play in 5 to $35, you should be doing uh, running back heavy, whether that be three to four in the first five rounds because it falls off so heavily after that. But remember, Football Guys Championship scoring rules is that you have to win your league in weeks 11 through 12, and then you go on for a 250K grand prize in the round robin in weeks 13 and 14. Which but, gives people some incentive to really try to go for it, right? Yeah, exactly. And just like in DFS – you don't go for it by playing the chalk. You go for it in, in cash games by playing the chalk. But and but in these bigger tournaments, like you're trying to beat not just 11 other men and women, but in general, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, I, I'm almost opposed to going heavy running back. I actually kind of want a tight end wide receiver start, to be honest. Um, and I like trying to, you know, you shouldn't prioritize Big differentials in the rankings um, when discussing players that are like that much more impactful and better, at least we think will be better than other players. Like I shouldn't draft um, Raheem Mostert over, let's say, Jonathan Taylor, I guess. Maybe that's not even big a difference. Let's say, um, I'm trying to think of someone in like round four, like number 13 or 14, Aaron Jones. I shouldn't draft Raheem Mostert over Aaron Jones just because I had George Kittle in the second round, right? I'm not prioritizing stacking to that point. However, uh, I do like to try to create sneaky stacks. So even if it's like Travis Kelsey, number nine or 10 overall, and then perhaps Tyreek Hill on the comeback, um, thing is also now at the end of the third round, Patrick Mahomes usually isn't getting there most of the time. So it's really tough to do that. You'd probably have to start with a sneaky stack as in prioritizing Travis Kelsey in a tight end premium at four or five over Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara and then getting, rather than Tyreek Hill, Clyde Edward Tiller in the second round and then drafting Patrick Mahomes early in the third. So it's like trying to think. Okay, Hilaire is interesting. Hilaire is interesting because that's what I think that's one of maybe two or three guys where Scott and I weren't 
Barrett and I were pretty well aligned last night in terms of who we liked and who we didn't. Hilaire was the one guy we were split on. He loves him. Now, I love the player. Hilaire was close to my, R, my RB1 before the combine. I really like Edwards Hilaire. I just, I just feel like I, I, I have more respect for Damian Williams than most people, and I don't think he's going to get pushed out of the way quite so fully and quite so quickly as a lot of people think. Where are you at with taking Hilaire in the second round? Uh, end of second round, I'm fine, but the fact is you're never getting in there. He's, he's right. going early. Uh, if so you, not, think tomorrow night, you think tomorrow night someone, you think someone's going to take him around, well, I guess somewhere around my second round pick? Okay, so, okay, so let's let's break this down really quick. You're at number eight overall. And you're at nine. Ian, that's Ian Harditz, Roto-Worlds, Ian Harditz and myself are at number nine overall. And then 10, 11, and 12, we have Ryan Links, um, who's a great drafter. I have a little – Strong, strong player. I got a little intel from a friend on him, on his draft strategy. I'm not going to say it on this podcast. I'll tell you off. Okay. But yeah, uh, I have to keep some – um, And then 11 and 12 are Mike Leone and Davis Maddock of Sports Grid and Daily Roto. And then Smiz of ESPN and his own Twitch that he plays video games on all day. Even though I don't understand how you can be heavily invested as like a, a broker and with kids and a wife and baseball coach and everything else he does. ESPN work as well, but also play video games all day. That's another secret he's hacked in life. Beyond the point, the fact is that those are the guys we're really looking at. And so I'm lo- only looking at 10, 11, and 12. And I know, unlike Ryan Link's, I know Leone and Maddock in particular, they're going to get a little wild. And not wild in a bad way. I just know they prefer to focus on profiles, as in the 24-year-old has a better chance to explode than the 30-year-old. Um, okay. And it's just a blanket statement. So I am assuming there is... No, more- I'm actually the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in players can get better. And I lo- I think one thing that people tend to forget is the hidden upside in a player that's still on the way up with his arc. But mm. keep going. No, so I was going to say, I am just assuming then that there is not a chance in hell Edward Tolera gets back to Ian and I at uh, 15, 16 overall because... So you think it's a lock he's off the board by 15? I, I cannot imagine Davis Maddock not jumping in there. He's probably listening and laughing to this right now, but like, I cannot imagine him not taking him there. There's no way. Davis Davis was a, a big Damian Williams guy last year. Now he's he's swinging back around. Now I know he's not leaving Damian for dead necessarily. Like He doesn't think Damian's bad. See, my thing is, and I've said this too many times already, but Williams has a skill set that specifically fits that team. In a very specific way, his ability, his receiving ability combined with the size and the vertical ability with his routes, it's he's an unusual running back. There really aren't a lot of running backs that have his specific skill set, and it really works with the way Andy Reid designs plays. And when you look at his contract, he's you know he could be, I think, unrestricted at the end of this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's, he's unrestricted. Um, him and, oddly enough, Marlon Mack. It's a really, it's a really weird year. Yeah. So, and, and Mac, you could make the same argument for Mac, a little bit of a different situation, but you know, I'm looking at Kansas city and you know, <clears throat> Williams has kicked ass for them in big games. Andy Reid never won a super bowl. He's coming off his first super bowl. He's got the same quarterback, same running back and all the skill players. I don't know that they have incentive to, you know, push Hilaire in there. I'm sure that at some point, maybe this year, certainly probably next year, He's going to be all that in a bag of chips. But it wouldn't surprise me 
if this black field was split? So the way we usually see these things work out, not that it's the way it's going to work out this year, but it is that uh, for the first month, probably, Damian Williams and Marlon Mack get in the way. They're gnats. Um, and then the guy, the younger guy with the dominating skill set takes over. And that's kind of how I perceive this happening. Um, yeah, the, the int- I, I'm, I'm with you. And we, we've seen that arc play out a million times. The, the interesting thing here, though, is, is – and Mac, Mac falls into this category too. Mac's a talented back. He, he's not just some guy who's – you know, it's not – I'm trying to come up it, – it's not like um, – it's not like oh, – this is <laughs> – it's not like when the Jets drafted Sean Green and he was trying to push an old Thomas Jones out. Like these two backs can – they're like right now at the peak of their game. So I, I just – and obviously the Colts is different because they're not a team coming off a Super Bowl. I just want like if I'm Kansas City, why am I giving Hilaire seventy percent? Like I'm not sure there's any reason to do it. Um, I mean, at some point maybe, maybe it happens towards the end of the year. I mean, obviously, if Damian Williams gets dinged up again, it's it's going to happen. Um, but you know, they're looking at a four year rookie deal. They've got this guy on right, and they're going to probably there's a good chance they're going to need to give him volume after this year. They've paid for Damian Williams. He works like crazy in that offense. I'm just, I just have a feeling it's going to be a little bit more of an annoying distribution than people think. And I, I'm more inclined to take Williams and like you can get me ADP on him in like the eighth or the seventh or something like that than I am to lean in on Hilaire early second. But that, that's just me. Um, if give I, me your take, give your take and the ADP if you can. Okay, so Edwards Hilaire unsurprisingly, is the RB14 overall in this format. And remember, this is roster management. But roster management season long uh, makes me lean Jonathan Taylor more because I feel like we have an easier chance at hiding Jonathan Taylor as the RB18 overall and end of third round ADP and drafting him as like our RB3 as opposed to trying and hide Hilaire at the mid to end second round and drafting him as our RB one or two. It's right. And when you say hide, you're talking about surviving until he gets the amount of the gig that you're where he's going to kick ass. Yeah. And unlike base best ball, I will say that at least in this format, it makes like, that's why I use the term hide because we can make those decisions. We can bench them, but in best ball, like when you're taking that guy uh, sure, he'll he like I said. I still think he pays off from like week five or six on, but you still have to mask the first month and a half of the year if you don't expect that if you expect it to happen. So it's it's just it's kind of tough with the rookies in general. And as I was mentioning earlier, um, it's a weird year overall because I, I can't recall. Well, the COVID and the weird off season, yes, but I can't recall the last time that we had. Rookie, uh, you know, so, I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. Rookie, okay. So there's two things here. One, rookies of such explosive profiles that are with running backs on one-year deals. It would be totally different if it was two-year deals. But these are you just articulated it a lot better. I was I was three Elijah Craig's in when I tried to say that to Barrett last night. Well, <laughs> you did better. But to be fair, but, I, yeah, it's a, it's a weird year for these backfields. There's just a lot of sort of odd-shaped backfields. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, to be fair, uh, I, so I'm the weird guy that works out the podcast, and um, today was my off day from running, so I admittedly haven't listened to that episode yet, but I will because I love both you and Barrett. Um, but the point is, so I can't remember the last time that happened, 
um, one-year deals, unrestricted free agent. Thus, the team can kind of just get away from them quietly and then let them go silently into the night and never talk of them again. Hey, appreciate what you did the last four years for us, but we're done here. And that's with Damian Williams and um, Marlon Mack. And by the way, this is another conversation, but Leonard Fournette, the team saves over $2 million in just cutting him. So kind of keep an eye on Rykel Armstead. I, well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like Rykel Armstead um, just in terms of, you know, he's sort of a tough guy with some explosivity to him. Um, so hold you on. Think, really? Do you think there's a good chance Fournette's going to get cut? Uh, if I put a percentage on it, I'd say 35%. Okay. Not good, but odds you're, willing, odds you're willing to play if you're digging for uh, either Armstead or Divina Zigbo. But quickly, I said two points here, and that was the first point. And second point was not only one-year deals, I can't remember the last time a bunch of shaky-kneed guys were in line for 300 touches. Like, assuming they're healthy, and that's why they're not first-round picks because they're question marks. But right. Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Jay yeah. Connor, and David Montgomery – all legitimately have passed to 280-plus touches if they stay healthy. The thing is, the question marks around them are so vast that the floor is 80 touches and then they're done, which makes them like risky second, third, fourth-round picks. But, I mean, the path is there for them. Yeah, no, I mean, we were talking – we talked about um, Montgomery last night. Montgomery's a back that I don't love. But I personally see him as a value right now where he's going. And again, not a player that I love, but I do think he's – I just think he's one of these guys that's good at the game. You know, he's not very explosive. He's, he has no straight-line speed, but he's good at football. Uh, he's, he's good at the little things. He catches it well. The routes are tight. Um, and he's got the ability to make plays downfield. If that offense would just work, I think he could do quite well. Um, again, I'm not – you know, I'm not carrying a torch for this guy. You know, he's not doing. He's not going to do much in terms of highlight reel stuff. He's not going to do a whole lot on his own. Um, but if that offense gets rolling downhill a little bit, I could see him doing some good things. So I'll make the case for you. I'll, I'll case to make for you. I'll make the case for you because um, for fantasy, I agree. Um, I don't. I don't even like the player skill set whatsoever. I, I think he's kind of a waste of talent. But the touches are what I'm attracted to. And right now in this format, in season-long formats, he's the RB26 overall. So I like to look at tiers and barriers. And so this means as the RB26, obviously he's an RB3 because he's not inside the top 24. So let's talk, right. let's talk about the guys that are borderline top 24 that are keeping him out from being an RB2 at least. And those guys are – and you can tell me how you feel about this. So let's start at – yeah, yeah. 20 overall, so we're going to talk fringe RB2s. That is David Johnson. I'm taking him over Montgomery, personally. Okay. What about you? I want to hear your opinion as well. Um, I'm going to say I would take Montgomery. Really? That's interesting. Okay, so... uh, It's it's strictly based on... But let me just say this. If I see David Johnson in the preseason and he actually looks like David Johnson, I'll flip on that in two seconds. That's fair. I didn't see David Johnson look like David Johnson last year. That's my problem. And by the way, like... Well, in the first seven games, his first seven starts before back injury, he was David Johnson. Um, right. But after right. that, it was ugly. And yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, like he looked like he was running with a piano on his back. And that's concerning to me. And, and back injuries are the kind of things that can linger for a season or two. And by the way, and that's true. And by the way, like, if you're, if we were picking not even for talent, or for touches, we were isolating it strictly to who stays healthy. Obviously, you're taking the younger guy who was never injured to begin with. 
So that's yeah, that's an easy one. RB twenty one overall, Le'Veon Bell. You know, this is close. I'm going to take Bell. I'm. It's close. I'm Bell too, but people don't understand that the hundred touches that Frank Gore is going to get literally is going to strip Le'Veon Bell I, okay. of like Can I just say fantasy something? points this year. I do not think Frank Gore is going to be getting a lot of touches. You're, I really don't. I have to. You're crazy, Pete. Like you really. Like, <laughs> I, I, I understand I, it's not it's not logical at all, but like. Evan Silva, I, I like the way he phrases, so I'm just going to mimic him. Um, Frank Gore is a guy who always finds a way to get touches because coaches love him. He does everything uh, coaches like in a player. And remember, and so remember all. And I think that's why that's one of the reasons the Jets brought him in. I just, oh man, oh man, I don't know. Okay, but there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack really quickly. Um, I will say, I'm, I'm whipping over to take a look at the Jets' damn depth chart right now because I want to make sure I'm not so, talking. At- Talking out of my backside, but I know we've got we've got P Ryan and we've got Le'Veon and we've got. Um... It's it's only like I, I don't I love Lamichael P Ryan as a pass catching back, but it is only Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore. Those are the only guys you need to worry about. Trent Cannon also really? a special team player. Yeah, who else do you think? Don't say Ken Dixon. No, 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 no. I was I wasn't going to say Dixon or Josh Adams or anything like that. But I mean, I think if P Ryan shows some legs, some life, I don't. I mean. I understand what the Jets are doing here, getting some veteran running backs because you got a young quarterback. But at some point, you need a guy with some life in his legs. I, Frank Gore last year, for the first time to me, looked most weeks like he was a little dead in the legs. No, but we see that. Adam Gase doesn't see that. That's the thing about David Johnson. Like we we see three. Now points. you're getting to my main point with Bell, which is that I just don't t- I don't trust Gase. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, same thing for David Johnson. Like we see two point eight yards per carry. Bill O'Brien doesn't see that at all. So as long as David, no, he Johnson, sees it, but he gets excited by it. Sure. Okay, that's fair too. He gets turned on by it. Um, even even if that happens, like in week eight, and David Johnson still getting twenty five touches a game. Remember, it doesn't matter what we think. You put your shoes in the in the personnel or in the figure of the coach. And thus, we have to think like Bill O'Brien, and David Johnson's going to play as long as he's healthy. It doesn't matter if he's bad or not. Truly, it doesn't well, I, matter. I, you know, this. I didn't know we were going here, so I don't have this at my fingertips. But I'm just going to look up last year. What do you need? What do you have? I, I'm just. I'm. I'm thinking of the way Hyde and Duke Johnson were used. Oh, I know uh, the, the snaps were pretty close. Um, no, but the touch. No, no. Hyde. I have it right here. Uh, Hyde out touched Duke Johnson two fifty five to one twenty seven. That but is. But the snap comes to fifty percent. Oh, okay. Like the so, right because what you're saying is because if they are playing from behind, then it's Duke Johnson at that third down role because he has a role. It's just a piss poor one considering he's a three down back. Right now, now first week Hyde was fairly new. Right, he had just gotten there maybe a week or so before. Literally, just gotten there. Right, so first week we'll throw out sixty three thirty seven. But Duke, the rest of the way, game by game, thirty nine forty eight sixty five. These are percentages: thirty nine percent, forty eight percent, sixty five forty, thirty seven sixty, forty five forty seven, fifty nine fifty one, sixty eight fifty three, thirty three forty four, thirty two. So thirty two in week seventeen, I think, was his snap percentage low point. So that's interesting. If so, where I'm going with this is if Duke Johnson can maintain that, don't do it. That's not good. That's not good for David Johnson. No, Duke Johnson doesn't maintain anything under Bill O'Brien. Don't do that to yourself. 
Like that's well, that's what forces I, men to the insane asylum is thinking Duke Johnson's going to be a, even a two down back. It's never going to happen. No, no, no. I know. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying they like him and they did pay him. Um, I, I, I'm concerned that Duke Johnson's just going to play well and the no. That, that's the, no. Duke Johnson plays well every year. That's my point. Well, that's because true. It, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter. Duke Johnson is the best three down back that will never be a three down back. Like I'm with you on that. He's with not with the coach or coaches historically that value him whatsoever. He's going to play in his third down role. Even uh, NFL Network's James Palmer released an article in the past couple of weeks that he interviewed like the Texans players and coaches. And Tim Kelly, the new OC, the first time Bill O'Brien has given up play calling, by the way, this year. Right, right. And um, he, he just, just talked about – and even both Palmer and Kelly mentioned Duke Johnson having a role, but they need David Johnson to be the person that uh, allows Duke Johnson to catch passes, which catching passes is great, by the way. Four for four footballs. TJ Hernandez did a study, I think he put it on Twitter, that when you're chasing upside in mid to late round running backs, you're eyeing 40 catches. Anyway, by the way, TJ Hernandez coming on this podcast soon, and we're drinking Lafroy. Just you're gonna learn a lot more from him. He's well he's way more educated in whiskey than we are, for sure. TJ's great. And he's he's great. Such a good Um, So listen to what you just said, and I'm sorry, hold your point because I know you have more. But if they want to get Duke Johnson targets. That's not good for David Johnson. No. So the idea they said is to <laughs> – I don't believe this, by the way. This is coach speak every all years, all years. This is coach speak every year. So take this with a grain of salt and then ignore me and call me stupid. But just <laughs> reporting here, like in Roto World, just reporting that they said they want to line David Johnson out wide and thus – putting the quarter on him and forcing a linebacker onto Duke Johnson because Duke Johnson's legs are more likely to basically break a linebacker's ankles than David Johnson's will. Like they want to put Duke Johnson in mismatches, in particular in the passing game. Again, it doesn't matter if the game is close or has a lead because that's all David Johnson time as he falls directly into his center and then stumbles down. Boy, I'll tell you what, this Texan season is going to be something to watch. <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not as high – like, Deshaun Watson is a magician. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not yeah, – I meant that in a bad way, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, but I've seen – so you say that, but I've seen some people be high on it. Um, the, the best outcome for fantasy is Deshaun Watson being in such like a stranglehold of his own offense and coaching staff that he does what he usually does. The only way they beat the Bills was because the team got in a hole via play calling and then Sean Watson was forced to make plays. He just went off script. And so the, the best case scenario for Watson is that he goes off script all year long and thus averaging seven carries per game, not even hyperbole, literally seven scrambles per game, plus deep shots while holding the ball longer every single time. Well, listen, if if you can keep those two – burners healthy if you can keep cooks and fuller healthy i can see watson doing really good things in I those games but man i mean that's that's a that's a long putt keeping cooks healthy is a really long putt with the head injuries and i mean I, i'm not a, i don't like to peg guys as injury prone because i do think injuries are a lot more random than some people think but i don't think they're fully random the way some other people will say and i at this point you have to consider i you know, Fuller's a guy you have to think he's going to miss time. I mean, there's no way around it. 
Yeah, and I'm on team. Uh, you're only injury prone until you're not injury prone. But I I would rather bet, bet if I had to have skin in the game, I would bet on Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks getting injured with lengthy injury histories as opposed to not getting injured and staying healthy all year, for sure. Let's get into this just for a second because I, you know, I've heard a lot of doctors say, you know, there's no such thing as an injury prone player. And I've heard a lot of guys say this and I, I get what they're saying. And there really is something to what they're saying, but I've played on too many teams in my life where the same guys keep getting hurt all the time. There's a couple things. First of all, some people don't take care of their bodies as well as others. Some people don't hydrate well as, you know, some guys hydrate religiously. Some guys forget, you know, some guys leave themselves in a position to get hurt and it's recurring. And then some guys, and I think this is the thing that some people fail to remember, some guys playing style, the playing style itself leads to injuries. So, And if you're one, if you're one of those guys, you know, that's the way it is. And Will Fuller has, I, I I love him for it, but the guy is willing to throw his body like at any angle to make a catch. And I mean, that guy lands on his head, his shoulder constantly. So, you know, some guys, the fact that they play balls to the wall every snap put themselves at risk more so than others. And I think he's one of those guys. So I'm going to expand on this and I'm only telling you beforehand so you can have a few of minutes to drink, by the way. Excellent. So, Thank you. You're welcome for me. Being no, that's time. good. Cause um, that means I can, I can report via the great Dr. Jesse Morris, who's a sports medicine doctor who focuses on DFS. He follows me on Twitter. I love his input and I feel, I feel permitted to, to say this because he did a great report on Will Fuller. So the last three seasons, let me go through Will Fuller's injuries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is good. And, and I want you to note that these aren't minor and if they are minor, then please we'll discuss it after, but these are the injuries. The past three seasons from week one of 2016 to December 2019. That is a hamstring, a hamstring re-injury, a left knee sprain, a broken collarbone, broken ribs, knee surgery in the offseason of 2018, hamstring in the preseason of 2018, a right ACL tear in October 2018, another hamstring injury in October 2019, the hamstring re-injury when they rushed him back because Bill O'Brien's a doofus, and sports hernia surgery in December 2019, which we still, to this day, have not heard much about despite a few positive reports from people I don't trust. So that is his history since 2016. Right. I mean, and look, I'm sure some of that is random, but the hamstrings, I mean, look, some of us have ham, like hamstrings can be a recurring thing. Some, I mean, I went through a phase in my twenties, which is sort of ironic. Like I'm an old guy now. I don't pull hamstrings. When I was in my twenties, I went through a two year phase phase where I was pulling them all the time. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I, I, I don't have analytics on like my drinking patterns. Maybe I had softball games the night after I drank or something. I don't know. But Guys can go through these phases. I, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. Jose Reyes, if you know your baseball with the Mets, Jose Reyes could not stop pulling hamstrings for a couple of years. Eventually, he worked through it. Uh, in football, a good example would be uh, Isaac Bruce. Early in his career, the guy was pulling hammies left and right, and then eventually he learned how to manage his legs, and he was fine. Um, so guys go through spurts, but if you're in a spurt, you're in it. If you are coming off of a hamstring injury, you are more at risk than a guy who's not coming off a hamstring injury. Um, and I think it's important to sort of pay attention to that stuff. Um, but I also think that 
it's very easy for a player to have a couple random injuries at the wrong time and then unfairly get pegged as an injury-prone player. I think a lot of those guys are out there. True. Very true. However, I don't think Will Fuller is one of them. I think... No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, so let's... Let's hit a couple other guys here. Let's. I'm going to throw a couple names at you and so, tell me. Let me let me give credit here really quick though, because the ADP I'm getting, I have a subscription which I would actually say everyone should get if you're serious about playing best ball in general. Um, even though Friday night's not best ball, but FantasyMojo.com he offers he offers ADP that he aggregates himself from FFPC league, so tight end premium. Right, right. And every super flex. Uh, Football Guy Championships, Best Ball, whatever you play, he has ADP dating back to January, and he ranks it all for $20 a year. It's crazy value. So, Give people, give people if you have it, give people the URL on that. No, it, it's literally uh, – so hold on. Let me back up. Yeah, it's literally fantasymojo.com. That's all it is. Okay. And again, it's what I use. $20 a year is nothing. Like you can afford that. Stop, yeah. stop adding stop adding like cinnamon to your coffee one morning. It'll be fine. <laughs> I just have to, you know, not get the uh, the 2011 Isle of Barley. I'll, I'll just stick with my uh, regular Brooklotic for a couple of times. For the record, I, I, I make pour over, so. Uh, wait, wait, what I, don't, you I don't go out for coffee. I make pour over myself, so. There you go. Yeah, I've been, um, we broke our coffee maker right before the COVID hit, and I've been using this old French coffee press for the last couple of months. It's not bad. Uh, It's a little extra extra work. It depends. I mean, I don't know what your love or passion or flavor for coffee is, but like if you want to expand your game. One big ass coffee in the morning. This includes Twitter, by the way. Like if you want to expand your coffee game, just reach out. Like I literally, I have a passion for it. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Eventually, like even when fantasy football going on, I'll probably open my own cafe. Like that's the next goal here. So um, I'm ready. Like I'll talk about it all day. Uh, a little secret. I'll just tell on the spot. How much? How much coffee do you drink? Oh no, we're not going to get into that. I'll get yelled at. You can, you, can, you can take the fifth on that. I, I'll, well, get, I'll, look, I'll get yelled at. I'm older myself, than you, so I, I like. I, I'm at the point in my life where I can't just be drinking coffee all day. Um, um, I, I will. I will quickly say that when I lived in Australia, when I was 25, uh, 25 and 26, I actually went to school and got a coffee degree. And the two best uh, places in the world for coffee are. Italy and Melbourne, Australia. And I actually trained and really? I trained and learned in Melbourne, Australia. Thus now when you say best places for coffee, you're not talking about where they actually grow it, you're talking about where they serve it. I am literally talking, yeah, how you serve it, like the art right, okay. the chefs of coffee. Otherwise you go to like Portugal and um the gato, you know, like because they actually for those that don't know, like the most exquisite coffee comes from cat dung. I've never thought I'd be saying that on the podcast, but that's really it. It comes from like the mountain of Peru in Portugal, and it's some of that cat dung with the mountain. Some of that Jamaican coffee is pretty good. Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I, I trained and got my degree in Melbourne, Australia, and thus I'm still a bully when it comes to coffee. <laughs> well, if I ever start a coffee pod, we'll get you back on. Please do. Um, so let's let's let me let me ask you this: Are there any players? Give me some of your guys where you feel like the ADP is off, where you feel like they're, they're really values against ADP, the ADP you're using. I'm just curious. It has nothing to do with me trying to get ahead for this draft tomorrow night, I swear. <laughs> okay. so, uh, I'll be honest here. Like This is a question, Pete, you should tell me beforehand, even though I'm ready. I'm a, I'm a working professional, so I'm ready to do this. 
But you did not. <laughs> you can you you can beg off this. It's okay. You did not give me this question beforehand, so I'm just gonna roll off the cuff. So everything I said, you know, that's true. Uh, but I'm prepared. Listen, we're off the script because I am now on my third dram, and I can't even remember what the script was. So well, good because I'm pouring my fourth dram as we talk. What is? Let me before I say this, and I actually, I said, and I swear to you, I'm ready to talk about this. But I need to know what is the end game of this podcast every week. That way we can. That way I can help you promote it. Is it to literally get the guest buzzed to talk about football afterwards? Yeah. Or? The, 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 the only thing we ask of the guest is that you're not afraid to get buzzed. It's not It's not the goal. The goal is to clearly evaluate. Everybody, so. The goal is to evaluate the whiskey and to talk some fantasy football. But, like, we thought we maybe would go for 55 minutes to an hour. We're already well over an hour. Oh, my God. So, this you know, rambling, we're, I feel like. We're, 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 well, more whiskey has been consumed than initially was planned, which is fine. It's all good. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll go first because here's a guy I brought up last night with Scott. Okay. And the, a, the, the ADP that I have for him is 31 overall wide receiver nine. Now, maybe you have better ADP. But I don't understand how Odell Beckham can be going that late. Where do you have Odell in your ADP, and and how do you feel about him? I am sort of bullish on a bounce back. So Odell Beckham is currently also FFPC wide receiver nine per FantasyMojo.com. Okay. And I want to hear your reasons because I'm sure it's the same reasons that uh, I will give. Okay. I mean, well, first of all, I think – I, I know that positive regression is not a real thing. <laughs> Statistical people tell me that. But I do think he is going to move back to his natural numbers a little bit. So I just think right there, I think we're going to get closer to the real Odell Beckham than we got last year. I, I expect more out of the quarterback. I expect more out of the offensive line. Um, and I think part of Odell Beckham's problem last year was that the quarterback had so little time that the top end of his, you know, the, the deep third of his route tree just wasn't even on the table. I think those routes are going to be back on the table. And I think the familiarity is going to help. I think the Browns just being better overall is going to help. And and I, I think we're going to see Odell Beckham this year. Oh, I mean, to give you just the stats on it, uh, he had the third most air yards, 1,800. He finished with the fourth most end zone targets, 13, and finished 15th overall in overall targets from Baker Mayfield with 133, and yet finishes the wide receiver 25. So basically, he was heavily involved every week, but busted every week. So it's pretty easy to see positive regression there. The involvement was it was greater statistically than it was in reality. A lot of those deep targets were just awful targets. Sure, that's fair. You know, that's good enough. I, 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 you know, it's weird. He actually got a QB downgrade last year. We did not expect Mayfield to struggle the way he did. And in Mayfield's defense, he did not. I mean, he was. You know, when a quarterback's getting time one snap and then no time the next snap, and it's it's constant. You know, where he's just constantly fearing for his life. That's going to throw off a young quarterback, and it and it did. He, he got to the point where you could see him mentally. He was grab bagging a little bit. He has decreased in uh, yards per attempt or yards in general under or passer rating under pressure, I should say, every single season. And like that's dating to his final season in Oklahoma all the way to this upcoming year. However, I think the signs and and take this with a grain of salt because I buy into these offseason things. Like I love fat percentage season. I fucking, I, I'm sorry, I can't cuss on this podcast. 
I love it. Sure you can. Uh, I don't want to though. I, I'll stay <laughs> responsible. Um, but I, when I get excited, okay. I use the F word a lot. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. So I, so I genuinely love it. And I will say that we're not seeing tiger photos out of Baker Mayfield this year. We're seeing like that he's been jumping into Zoom links with the running backs because he wants to know how they're running routes and involved. We're seeing him jump into wide receiver links because he needs to hear the wide receivers coach talk to his players. Like all the good things you want to hear about your quarterback, and maybe that doesn't come to fruition, but all the good things you want to hear in a new offense are actually happening as opposed to last year. So that's what I love about Baker Mayfield this year. Right. And then the other thing I, we didn't, I didn't mention about Beckham is he's more than likely going to be healthy this year. And he was slightly healthy last year. He was, you know, oh, I would argue he wasn't healthy at all. Okay. That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was dealing with a, what, what, a, a core issue. Is that the best way of saying it? Yeah. I mean, a sports hernia. Yeah. And he played through, he played through literally every single week. It was a hernia related to the hip injury, yeah. right? And he played through every single week. Um, Jarvis Landry's injury is probably more impactful because it literally was hip surgery. But right. Beckham's – so now – so, by the way, that's another Baker Mayfield stat. Uh, take into account that your top two receivers are both hobbling, like they're out of the uh, old folks home, and then just like trying to run routes now. Like that's a disaster from the beginning. Right, and these guys are both just terrific route runners. Yeah. So – Okay, so quickly, or not, not even quickly, who cares? My guys in general, um, Calvin Ridley is currently the wide receiver 17 overall, and I still think that's disrespectful because he should be a wide receiver one. He should be in the top 12. Um, so do you, do, you, do you think he's going to outperform Julio, or do you think they're going to have two elite receivers on the field at the same time? No, I think it's um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, 2020. I think they're both wide okay. receiver ones. And okay, I, cool. I, I wish I could tell you, like, I don't know if Calvin outperforms Julio, but I do know we are closer to Calvin outperforming Julio than we are to Julio outperforming Calvin every single year, right? Like, gotcha. Calvin, gotcha. Calvin hasn't uh, produced over 900 receiving yards yet. And it's not because he's talentless. Like, he's one of the most talented receivers in the league. It's just the fact that he has yet to be healthy or in his first year, he wasn't involved all the way until now. Right. But yet, right. And last year, that offense became dysfunctional at points. It had, had nothing to do with Ridley. Ah, so let's talk about this really quick. Um, yeah. Last year, Muhammad Sanu was traded at the deadline. And from that point until the point where Ridley suffered his core muscle injury in week 14, he actually led the Falcons, Julio included, in both targets and air yards. So right there, that's a little hint. And then... Yeah. Austin Hooper was unavailable for three games last year. And in those three games that Hooper was inactive, uh, I'll read the lines to you real quick. Um, Ridley produced with eight catches for 143 yards and a touchdown, six catches for 85 yards and a touchdown, and eight catches for 90 yards. Like, it is, I, to me, it's very clear, very clear, that Ridley is a wide receiver one. Um, it's just a matter of your personal opinion – who you think falls outside of wide receiver one, top 12 range, and thus becomes the wide receiver 13 or 14. Are we worried at all about Matt Ryan dropping another level? No. Matt Ryan is no. still like relatively young. Like he's not old, but he's young. He, and he, honestly, he's consistent. Like To me, we know we're getting 20, 30 touchdowns and 4,000 yards out of Matt Ryan every single year. And – 
Uh, I apologize to Falcons fans because I do wish y'all were better. Like you even have a Chick-fil-A in your stadium. I wish y'all were the best team in the whole league. Um, but the fact is the Falcons drafted as if they wanted to get worse and their defense did get worse. And there's no, you can't even argue that they literally made a worse team, which is good for fantasy because it puts right. the offense foot on the gas every single week. So I love, love Julio Calvin Ridley. Oh, I'm sorry. Julio Calvin, Hurst, Gurley, and Ryan. You like all five? I love all five. Love it. I don't, know how, I, don't, I don't know how you stack it because I also don't want all five <laughs> pretty much, but you got to figure out ways to get them involved. Well, look, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm in quite as, you know, I don't know if I'm in with both feet the way you are. Um, I'm definitely <laughs> interested in Gurley. It, it's, you know, I actually, you and I had a long discussion about Gurley at the bar last year. You remember that? Oh, and no, I was down. No, I'll probably on the fourth Jameson by then. <laughs> well, we were talking about the, the nature of the knee injury and the fact that people were basically treating it like it's a permanent condition. Um, and, you know, I was basically saying, hey, for all we know, he's going to come back a little bit healthier this year. Um, you know, his knee got hot during the season and they, they didn't have enough time to get it cooled down. And he basically tried to play through something because of the gravity of the situation. Um, and, I, you know, look, he didn't look great last year, but at least he looked healthy. Um, so I'm not worried that Gurley, I, like, I think Gurley's going to show, I think, I think he can show up and take the rock this year. The question is, who's it going to be? Is it going to be something close to the guy that we've seen in the past? If it is, he's going to crush, he's going to crush. Uh, so I will tell you that Gurley's ADP in general right now is number 15 overall. And then. Wait a minute, really? Yeah. I mean, what do you mean really? That's about right, right? He's going 15 overall? Yeah. I think that's Wow. I didn't, that's I didn't realize he was going that high. Oh, so you thought he was going lower. I did. I thought he was going lower. No, no, no. I thought he no. I thought he was more like early third round. No, these are this is an FFPC about the and I should I should remind people by the way. Uh this is my responsibility to tell people earlier than this. But no, if you're on drafters or um bestballtens.com. I will say that the ADP is soft, and that's why I suggest sure. $1, $5, $11, $27 leagues all the way to the top um, until you're comfortable because you can take this information and basically – not guarantee, but pretty much return ROI, honestly. Drafters in particular, the ADP is the softest I've seen in a long time. But in FFPC, Todd Gurley is smart and caught up and is the RB15 overall, yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He's RB15. 15, yeah. What did I say? Okay, I'm sorry. I, I You said 15 overall. I was thinking literally like Oh, early no, no, no. I'm sorry. RB15 overall. Yeah, RB15. Yeah. It's okay, man. We're drinking. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so no, no. Okay. Yeah, I have him as RB16. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're about in the same place. Um, so, listen, man. We've been here for an hour and 20 minutes, so we're definitely going to have to wrap this thing up soon because – <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're just having a good time and rambling right people, now. Like, people, no, no, I mean, uh, yeah, we'll, like we'll stop recording. We can keep talking. No, no, um, no, no. I, I feel like we're in the middle of abusing people, even though if you hung around this long, then you don't care about analysis really. Like, But we're either abusing people's time 
or we need to go longer. And I'm not sure. Hey, pe- people, people know where the button is. They can use it. Let me, let me, let's talk about DeAndre ask me, Hopkins. Dude, ask me. Like I'm, I'm literally, I have nothing to do tonight and it's very early on the East coast. Like, let's do this. Let's do this. I, um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to watch, I think the, the last episode of season two of Bosch with my wife, but I've got time. I don't know if that is. Um, it's a show I've started watching because people told me it was good. Is it good? Um, it's okay. I, I mean, I'm okay with it. So, I in other say, words, you don't like it, but your wife likes it, and you're forced to say okay. I got it. No, no, no. I would say I probably like it more than she does. It, it's the kind of thing. It, it, it's it hasn't been bad enough to stop watching. It's it, it has it's not so good that I'm like geeked to watch it. Okay. But I I've heard such good things about it from people who who's opinions I respect that and it's got like five or six seasons so we're gonna uh, the, the agreement we made was we're gonna give it to the end of season three and we're gonna reevaluate um but anyway DeAndre Hopkins is a guy I have belief in I'm I have positive vibes on him I know some people are worried about wide receivers switching teams and there is some negative history on that and heck we got Odell Beckham last year um but like we talked about you know Beckham had an injury his quarterback backslid a little bit you know, Hopkins is healthy. I do not think his quarterback is going to backslide. And I like this offense for fantasy points. Would you like to try to talk me off of this or are you with me? Um, I don't I like, like Nuke. No, I genuinely don't know the answer. I like Nuke as well. I've seen it vary. I have heard through the grapevine. Uh, apologies to this individual. He's going to yell at me. But I've, I've heard... That even Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves on Twitter, uh, has thought about ranking Hopkins number two overall this year. Wow. Because okay, there you go. Scale and offense. However, I know that Ian Harditz of Roto World, someone also I respect and love, had love thought about ranking Hopkins like outside wide receiver one. So okay. I, I've seen it vary. And I think the argument comes down to targets versus uh, efficiency and how we weigh that. And thus, I would say that if Hopkins loses 20 targets, 20 to 30, but more downfield shots, because remember, his ADP dropped to a career low just last year as Will Fuller was prioritized downfield. Um, So if Hopkins gets involved downfield this year, then if you're averaging even two yards more per target downfield, like – I think it matters coming from Kyler Murray because the because the the difference between Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray, while it is a difference, it's not much. So I don't believe the people that say, hey, 32% target share or whatever to 22, 24% target share, like is gonna kill you. I still think Hopkins is definitely a value as a top six wide receiver. Yeah, we can't look at those target shares in a vacuum because one of these teams has the potential to throw a ton. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like the Cardinals' offense is one I feel like we want in particular. Like I don't want to. I I don't believe genuinely anything is wrong with the Cardinals' offense at all. Sure, they're going to lose games, but how often will that come down to their offense? Because Kyler Murray, even in throwing just over eleven percent of his deep balls, like thirtieth in the league last year, twenty plus yards downfield, how often was that due to uh, his ability not to throw downfield, but 
his ability to look around and say, hey, we don't have the guys to throw downfield. Like, I don't want to throw 20 yards downfield to Farrell Cooper and Trent Sherfield every week. It's pretty absolutely. Obvious, it's pretty obvious to notice that this offense actually got better. Not only that perspective, but the offensive line, which again, I would argue, doesn't even matter because Kingsbury has shown an ability to hide his offensive line every single year dating back to Texas Tech. So everyone got better. Literally, everyone on the team got better. And thus, I think the Cardinals are a special offense to watch for fantasy in particular. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am really big on Nuke. I am big on Drake. And I'm big on the quarterback. I think Kyler's going to have a big year. Um, in the ADP I was going off of, which is a, a, I got this from a, a friend who's been in some high money leagues. Um, but, you know, he's got Kyler as QB3, but going in the 60s. My the, from just talking to some of the people in the league, the the draft we're going to do tomorrow night sounds like he could be more like fourth round. What do you think? Oh, uh, what player? Which player? You mentioned Kyler Kyler Murray. So I'll tell you. Oh, this is a discussion in general. Um, Kyler Murray is currently the QB three. There's argument that Dak should be the QB three. However, I kind of you know what? Let's hit Dak for a second. I I think Dak's going to be great. I, I'm not I'm not a Dak naysayer at all. I've got some dynasty shares and I want him to kick ass. The thing about Dak for me is I've never heard any explanation as far as what's happened with the shoulder injury. I mean, I haven't heard anything bad about it. So I guess, you know, in, in a certain sense, no news is good news. But by the same token, he was having trouble throwing the football. Like you could see the shoulder affecting his ability to throw the football downfield in some of those games last year. You know, like, have they talked about it at all in terms of, I guess he's just, there hasn't been any corrective procedures done. Basically, they're just expecting that everything's going to heal with time. Yeah, the shoulder issue, I would I would say, is a non-issue. It's a non-issue. Yeah. I mean, it's, without question, it's being treated as a non-issue. That's for sure. So, uh, Kyler right now, ADP 6.9 overall. So, the end of the sixth round. Dak, 7.2. Literally five picks after him. So it's not anything to think about whatsoever. It comes down to preference and or stacking. And honestly, like I've been, if I have Zeke at three or four overall, I've been kind of factoring in Dak. Uh, if I have Kyler, if I have Kenyon Drake and DeAndre Hopkins, which is one of my favorite sneaky stacks at the end of rounds one and two, then I'll get Kyler in the third or fourth. Um, yeah, it just depends. See, my thing is I feel like Kyler's got more – sort of hidden upside versus Dak. Like I think Dak was close to his potential last year in terms of fantasy points. I find it, I'm struggling to believe that, you know, he could actually take it up much further than what he did last year. The other, how many, do you off the top of your head or at your fingertips, how many rushing TDs did Dak have last year? Do you know? Oh, uh, Dak was held back last year at the rusher. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, honestly. I, I'm looking it up right now. I'm pretty quick on these things. But. Yeah, so am I, but yeah. So, Dax, no, it's all good. Uh, Dax rushing last year, he had a career low 270 uh, – I'm sorry, uh, career low 52 carries for a career low 277 yards and three touchdowns. In his last three years in the league, for reference, he had six touchdowns per year. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. so he went from 75 to 52 rushes. Is that correct? You got the same numbers I got? Yeah, 75 to 52. But in general, all career lows, all career lows in general. 
his rushing average went up, um, and then the rushing touchdowns. He had been cruising along at six every year, and he came came up with three last year. I, th- I think it's important to note, though, like uh, Kellen Moore did like was wonders with him, though. Like, yeah, no, 20, I agree. Twenty one point one fantasy points per game as the overall QB two last year, despite his dead shoulder over the last month of the season, is very big because now they now they upgrade. Randall Cobb, I I understand, flashed for a month. But imagine going to C.D. Lamb, like the the yards after catch god, to from Randall Cobb. And do you think that's what's going to happen? Is I mean, how do you think the receiving, like, how do you envision that receiving time playing out over the course of the year? I mean, do you like do, what I'm saying here is, do you think Michael Gallup is playing more snaps than C.D. Lamb week ten? Um, I don't know personally, but I do know that Michael Gallup is undervalued because everyone is treating C.D. Lamb as if he's an ever down receiver, and that's not the case at all. Uh, it, it, I don't think it'll start out that way, but man, I like Michael Gallup. I, I, I've always been a fan. You're about to offend me. I want to hear it. Then. No, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit on the other side for you. I feel like Gallup is maybe overrated, but let, oh. in terms of fantasy, in terms of fantasy value, but let me. Where, where, what, what ADP do you have him at? So let's no, let's get on the same page. Hold on, we have the discussion. Okay, um, yeah, sure. Um, I'll calm down. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. He's the wide receiver, 35. He's going at the beginning of the eighth round right now. Okay. So I will say though, like you don't, that's okay. You don't catch for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. I understand his drops were a major issue. Um, his case. And right, you know what? And, and, and let me just. Let me admit my bias here because I'm a Jet fan and I watched the Jet-Dallas game twice and, man, did he have a rough day. He he had a really rough day. Even in fantasy, I will tell you, uh, I don't care about drops at all. Um, This is a Frank Reich thing is that as long as the receiver gets open, if they are open for those targets, give me it every time. And if they drop it, we'll make that work. Don't worry. And uh, the fact is – you have to remember, Pete, it was only his second year. Second year in the league, he caught 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. That's no, I'm a, I'm a fan of the player. I'm not, I'm not here to, to destroy Michael Gallup at all. Um, it's more that I'm just doing the math. Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. I mean, unless they're going to just throw the ball a ton, I mean, they can't all go off. Right? It's not just – no, agree, but it's not just uh, – it doesn't come down to all going off. It comes down to efficiency again. And man, I wish I don't know anyone, and I haven't done it myself just yet, who has factored in. Hey, what if you drop ten targets? What does efficiency matter? Like, what about being with a, the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the league? And I, I'm going to hear getting yelled at from people saying Dak isn't one of the best in the league, but he's one of the most efficient in the league. The offense was amazing. I might have pushed you on that a couple of years ago because I think Dak yeah, was still was developing. But like we've gone past that. What we saw last year, Dak was great. So I don't have a problem with you saying it exactly. At all. So uh, I think they're interchangeable. This is again, and I've been saying all offseason that if you ask me about rookies, there's no way. Literally, I, I don't think there's any way in hell that Ceedee Lamb leads rookies in target. For me, that's Rager or Justin Jefferson. But really, you don't think you don't think it could be Judy? Not at all. No. They're rookie, we're talking rookie, just rookie targets. That's right. Okay. So, uh, no, not at all. Literally, not at all. Um, and I could be wrong there. That's fine. What's, what's the argument? What, what, and what's your argument against Judy? I'm just curious. There are too many mouths to feed, and Drew Locke was very bad last year. Like, literally, 
dragged the offense down. And yet people, because remember, this is GIF season or GIF season. I don't know what the kids call it. I have no idea. Um, (laughs) Whatever it is, GIFs, when they're floated out on the internet, are only good. They're like documentaries. They're only good for your opinion. And so everyone puts it out there. Hey, here's like a 30-second GIF, but it only backs up what I want you to believe. But no one sees the bad. If you put out a GIF about Drew Locke, it would be it would be literally three minutes longer than the good one, right? Because his lowlights were so much worse than his highlights. He was a bad player last year. And yet we're all saying, oh, he's going to be better this year. We have no track record of John Elway being a good GM. Literally. Well, that, well that, that's true. But look, I mean, look. <laughs> I'm not even done yelling, but I'll trust you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, I look, Elway has been shaky with picking the quarterbacks, and I'm not, I, you know, would I bet my mortgage on Drew Locke making it as an NFL quarterback? No, I wouldn't. I do think people are maybe overreacting to what, the low A dot a little bit. Um, I think he's very capable of airing the ball out. They just need to get him to that point. So I don't know. I I I have a very open mind on Locke, but I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet I, on him having a big. To, to be fair, I have an open mind. Like I want Locke to succeed. I really, really do. But the thing is, we literally didn't see anything that suggests he'll succeed last year. That's the problem. But um, but if you listen to if you listen to Jeff season, then of course, like he had he had one throw to Cortland Sutton, that Sutton one handed against man on man coverage. But that's it, and that's the thing. Again, I'm never going to correct that because I think it's actually an advantage to fantasy players to be on Twitter and only see like little 30 second video clips that suggest otherwise. It helps us get better as players, honestly. Because yeah, I mean, it's just totally wrong. I mean, I definitely saw a kid who was playing like a rookie, a kid who didn't really have much feel for what was going on out there. But, you know, I don't know. I I, I, I did see some good things, too. I, I saw it was up and down. It was roller coaster like. And I think the the lack of aggression, I think, is something that will come. Let's just put it that oh, way. I, I, mean, I don't even of, think it's lack of aggression, honestly. I, th- I think it's okay. overly aggressive. Well, but, but, aggressive and not being aware of your own talents, honestly. Okay, okay. Again, yeah, a, I could be wrong there. I'm sorry. Uh, he's, well, he, no, 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 no. He's he's an interesting player to me. I, I mean, I I don't like the way he processes the game. I never did. I didn't like his college film from that print standpoint. Yeah. And I thought last year was a little bit light. But he's an inexperienced kid, and look. All he needs to do is be a guy who can be a little more aggressive and distribute the football. There's no, I mean, here's one thing you can say about Locke. I think that is fair. No excuses this year. He needs to show something. I mean, he doesn't need to be perfect. He doesn't need to win 10 games or I'm not trying to put any kind of arbitrary anything on him, but if you can't be excited about Drew Locke at the end of the year, then they should be looking for another quarterback. Well, yeah, that's the point. They should have looked for another quarterback in this. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, when you put Cortland Sutton and Judy, and now they bring in the kid from Penn State who can fly Hamler, and and the the kid they took last year from Penn State who plays slot Hamilton, he's a good you know technician of a slot receiver, and you know Tim Patrick's a good player, and they've got they've got Fant who's a vertical tight end. They've got all these pieces, and now they've got a running back. There's really no excuse at this point for the quarterback. So. Um, no matter what you think about Drew Locke, I think we're going to have some real information, you know, by the end of October. That's fair. 
Um, although I will say, uh, here's what I would say about Locke, by the way, while you're thinking about that, I, I do think he's a guy who can support receivers. Can he be a winning quarterback? I have serious doubts. Can he be a guy who can avoid the big pick? I have serious doubts, but I do think he's a guy maybe in the Winston kind of mold where he has the arm and the athletic traits to support statistics, if that makes sense. Sure. I disagree with you, but. Okay. No, no, no. That's good. That's and, fine. And again, I want, I, I want, I wanted to see it because I wanted to see it. He, he knows young GZ word for word. We saw him in the sidelines last year. He dates Natalie Newman, who's a very attractive woman. Like I want him to succeed, honestly, but uh, we know John Elway and what we saw last year, he dragged Cortland Sutton down. And to be fair, anyone that makes Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant worse I don't want anywhere near my team because I want those players to be the best in the league because they have that potential. Yeah, but I mean, he's, don't we want to give him on some level? Some, like, I mean, the, the same the same slack, I'm going to cut Haskins, I'm going to cut Locke. You know what I mean? Like, I think we need to give these guys some time before we decide this is what they are, you know? And and look, let's let's go back to Dak. I mean, if you look at Dak Prescott – midway through his second year and then compare him to the guy we saw no, last year. Don't do that. No, it's not. Oh, well, no, no. I'm just saying, I mean, the, 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 the progression for him as, from the neck up is, is outstanding. It really is. Yeah. But like Dak and his rookie. Now, of course, Dak had more games. Like Dak had a whole season to work with, but Dak, was right, so- and Dak, had, a, Dak had a, Dak had a great running game, great offense. Dak, yeah. Game. Dak was so much better. That, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's not even, I don't even know how to comprehend that. Not that it's a bad comparison, but like I don't, I'm just, I don't know. All I'm talking about, all I'm talking about is just processing the field. That's all I'm talking. I will about. say that the five games I saw Drew Locke last year, uh, he made the offense worst. And if you're telling yourself otherwise, you're kidding yourself. Having said that, it was only five games, so who cares, right? Like, let's see this. Well, and and they open they open at home this year against the Titans, which they should dominate, and then go on the road against the Steelers. So we won't know anything until seven games and Drew Lock starts. Honestly, that that could be true. Yeah. So, but if we look at the starts before Lock got in there, they were mostly what Flacco and Keenum, right? Uh, it was Flacco and Brandon Allen. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Okay, so – oh, that's right. Keenum's Ke- Keenum was screwing up McLaurin. Sorry, I got my screw-ups wrong. I mean – I mean, look, Flacco can keep the offense on schedule. It's just not pretty. I, I, I'm going to – I don't – you know, this is a tricky thing for me because I – I absolutely see all the problems with Locke. I just want to give him credit for the physical ability. I just want to make sure we're giving him credit for that. That's all. That's – I do think he can throw the ball. Uh, he can launch the ball. I don't know if he can throw the ball. <laughs> you're not going to get Okay. okay. No, 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 literally, no. I want you to dig in. I want you to dig As in. a guy who, who's watched literally every snap again this offseason from Drew Locke, uh, I'm sorry. And this is not fair because, you know. No, you, no this is good. You've done a recent film dive, and, and I haven't. So I'm all No, but it's not even fair it. because, like, I hate it so much. Because every time you talk, like, negative about a player – the fan base then gets involved and it's like, oh, well, you don't let like, – no, I don't I, – I literally, I literally for my own job, for my own money, for my own rent, 
I want everyone to succeed. That's the thing. I want every team and every player to be successful because that means it would be the best team. It would be the best league in the world, and no one would even fight against that. We could travel to Australia and Italy and our Antarctica, and they could have stadiums there because every every player is the best in the world. But it's not the case. Instead, the NFL is a bully league that only factors in connections, and thus Drew Locke gets effing drafted, and it's like, oh, this team sucks. Yeah, of course it does. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so at this point, we've been going for an hour and 42 That's minutes. Stupid. That's stupid. And it, it, you know what? I could do, I could easily do another hour, man. Um, you're hey, fun to talk quickly, to. Uh, I don't mean yeah, to cut no, you no. off. This might lead to no, a long conversation. Ahead. But do it. the most recent, because you're going to, I know, I know the rules. You're going to ask me to plug this and I'm going to tell you what to plug and yada, yada, yada. Uh, the most, the most recent, Roto World Football Podcast on iTunes. We talked about the sixth most watchable teams um, in the entire league. So, most watchable. Okay. So, yes. So, I would like to hear your quickly just top three. Who do you think is the most watchable? It doesn't matter if they're good, it doesn't matter if they're bad, just most watchable. When you say so, teams that I would enjoy watching, that's the, the metric. Yes, just literally most watchable. Okay, literally, that's the only okay. metric. Okay, so teams I teams I would want to watch this year would be Kansas City, San Francisco, Arizona, Cincinnati, um, and Carolina. Those are teams I want to watch play. Cincinnati, Carolina. What's funny is that neither of those teams fell into our top six. The reason they're in, I'm just very interested in watching what happens with those offenses. I'm interested in the, I'm interested in Burrow with Taylor and how they're going to assimilate all that talent. I'm very interested to see what Bridgewater is going to do in this offense where the, the talent surrounding him is sort of set up for a ball distribution quarterback, which is what he can be. So I'm just those offenses based on the changes they've made. I'm just very interested in watching them. That's fair. Uh, and to be honest, I think. Uh... Cincinnati actually is a watchable team. I don't know if Carolina is so much watchable because their defense is so bad. But again, maybe that is watchable because that oh, I'm sorry, the defense count. <laughs> I was absolutely talking mostly about offenses. Well, no, it all, such a fan. It's all baked in. It's literally all baked in because even the Ravens, like we love watching the Ravens for Lamar Jackson, but even the Ravens defense with Marcus Peters jumping every other route and thus getting burned every other route is also fun to watch. So it's all you can think about it longer than the time I gave you, to be quite honest. To what you're saying, I mean, I think I probably should have thrown the Patriots in there. Um, Patriots without Tom Brady is incredibly compelling. And and hey, I gotta throw the Bucks in there now that I think about it. Cause shoot, watching Tom Brady away from Belichick is gonna be hugely compelling. Um, which brings us to a point. I mean, I really hope I mean, I hope COVID goes away because I hope COVID goes away. <laughs> but additionally, like, I really hope this this football season gets to play out because I think it's uniquely compelling in a lot of different ways. That's totally fair. And I think we should end on that because I think you made your point right there. Okay, that's cool. Well, you know what? Let's end, let's end football on that. And let's, let's, let's get back to this whiskey for a minute or two because, dude – I am a big fan of John Daigle going rogue because this bottle uh, is good. What's funny is that by the time people are listening to this, they're going to see. Now, I shouldn't talk. Well, I guess I should say since I mentioned it, 
I'm kind of in a little battle right now because I, while doing this, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss any player news I should bring up on this podcast live. And one reporter in particular took a player's movement tweet, Black Lives Matter tweet, and quote tweeted it to make sure he got the likes and retweets. And I'm not going to say which one, but I'm sure you can easily find out if you go to my feed, unfortunately. So I'm kind of in a battle right now as well. Apologies. No, it's okay. And that's all, that's all we're going to say. We're going we're gonna to end it on that note. We'll, see, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So this this whiskey has been fun. I really oh, this is so much fun, Pete. Like I, I, I honestly, this is what I got scared about. Even when I share this with everyone tomorrow, I'm going to tell everyone preface with with the uh, hey, you maybe don't even learn anything from this podcast, but if you ever want to hear like two people who love fantasy football and do the studies have fun, like this is the podcast because I feel like we let loose in this one. Like we just no, I mean, sat back and just talked to each other. We had, we did have sort of an itinerary when we went in and, you know, somewhere around Dram 2, it just sort of went out the window, what can I tell you? But look, you haven't been on Rotobond Pod before. Um, this is sort of what I'm dubiously known for, is going, is like just crinkling up the script, which is one of the reasons I think Reeves keeps coming back in the pod is because he loves unscripted. Um, and he's like, the best at it nobody's and uh, barrett said that last night like nobody's better off the cuff than rich um and silva and i and i, I, I mentioned this just, i mentioned this to somebody recently but and i may have told you this story but the night that uh, trump got elected i didn't experience it i was busy podcasting with silva all night we did a two-hour podcast and by the time it was over i turned on the tv and and Freaking Trump was president. It was wild. Um, um, wait, what are you? What were y'all talking about on that night? Now I'm very curious about that night in general. Me and Silva. Yeah. Holy shit, man! It was 2016 in November. I can't even remember what we were talking I'm about. I'm so curious about the player at subject during this. Like, oh man! During that massive moment in our country, like what y'all were talking about football. I remember when we stopped recording. Silva's like, he was like, well, I was into the. He was. I think he was drinking whiskey, and he's like, I don't. He's like, make sure that I'm coherent in the last hour. <laughs> so when I woke up, I listened to the whole thing and I'm like, shit. I mean, if Evan was drunk, I couldn't tell. <laughs> the only thing that was different is that the Silva pause was getting longer and longer. Mm, that's fair. Well, the Dagle pause is getting longer and longer as well. So, <laughs> you know, that sometimes, well, Evan, sometimes that was back, I think, when I, he may have changed apartments or whatever since then. But he had like the slow internet going that night. So there was like that. It was like we were talking on a satellite or something. Uh, yeah, but that's what like, so I, I mean, he's my, he's one of my good friends in the world, but this is what Silva's known for is like not having his internet in check. And, uh, by, the, and by the way, in like three years, that's going to be me because I'm already fading to that existence. I'm already like, yeah. I'm so bad with everything in my house. Uh, I, we're getting closer to me paying someone just to like set everything up for me because I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I am not Mr. Tech either. And so the the funny thing about this podcast, and we're getting near like the Rotobon record right now, which is cool. Um, but what's going to be fun is me going through this with a fine tooth comb tomorrow and freaking editing it. I oh man, I, right now I'm like, have you ever heard Seinfeld's joke about how like nighttime guy doesn't care about morning guy? No, what is that? Because I'm the big Seinfeld fan. 
It, well, it's basically that, like, you know, nighttime guy does whatever he wants. Nighttime guy stays up late. Nighttime guy keeps drinking. And morning guy is saddled with all the bad decisions that nighttime guy makes. Oh. So, to, so tomorrow morning, I'm going to be morning guy and I'm going to be going, oh, I hate that nighttime guy. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And like last, I mean, this morning was a rough morning because the, the Elijah Craig was flowing very well last night. And at my age, I probably should not be going into the same exact waters the next night. But, you know, maybe it would have been better if we'd reversed this, if we'd done the Isla and then the Elijah, because then I would be sipping the Elijah because I so aggressively drank this stuff. Um, but we are getting to the point in the pod now where like, I think a listener can tell that I've been drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, same for me. Don't worry. And I'm not, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it, nor am I proud. <laughs> But I do think we are at that point of the evening. So for for our listeners, if anybody somehow missed this, John and I have been drinking Brucolotic, Isla Barley 2011. The selection of the bottle goes, the credit for selection of the bottle goes to John. And next time you come on, dude, I'm picking the bottle. And so the, the pressure is now going to be on me because I'm going to have to come up with something that was as good as this. Oh, whatever you say, I'll gladly purchase and join in with you. But uh, you mentioned pre-production that, hey, I don't know if you're like available in August. Dude, I'm you are my friend. I'm a friend with a lot of people in the industry, as Fish once said, because I uncoincidentally had whiskey with them. So please, like whenever you schedule it, I swear to you, you just let me know and I'm back. It's that easy. No, I appreciate it. But and, and by the same token, you're a friend of mine and I wouldn't want to stick you at a time when you've got, you know, I mean, you wrote a world, guys. You guys are like jugglers, man. You got seven balls up in the air. I don't want to be ball number eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so we, we'll do it. We'll, we'll get you back, but it'll hopefully be at a time that uh, works for you on some level. I appreciate that. man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, no, for sure. And hopefully next time you and I aren't uh, hooked up via technology. Hopefully next time we are clinking glasses and so on and so forth. Um, So at the hour and 50 mark, based on my uh, timer here, we are going to wrap this thing up for you listeners. Uh, Dale and I are probably going to talk for a little bit longer, but you guys are going to get cut now. Thanks for tuning in for the 10 or 12 of you who are left. Um, That's all for tonight with the uh, Fantasy Island podcast. Thanks for listening.